Okay, first of all, I'm a vampire slayer. And secondly, I'm retired. Hey, I know. Why don't you kill him? I'm a watcher. I, I haven't the skill. Oh, come on. Stake through the heart, a little sunlight. It's like falling off a log. A slayer slays. A watcher... Watches? Yes. No. He... He trains her. He, 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 he prepares her. Prepares me for what? For getting kicked out of school? For losing all of my friends? For having to spend all of my time fighting for my life and never getting to tell anyone because I might endanger them? Go ahead. Prepare me. And I'm Brent. This month we're joined by ubiquitous Doctor Who fan Toby Hato. We discuss Lockdown, his many projects, his part in the 50th, and of course, Doctor Who. Then we're headed to the Hellmouth to discuss Toby's pick of the month, the teen horror comedy that changed television dialogue forever, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And all that's coming up right after this. Fed up with lockdown. Love Doctor Who. But, you know love Doctor Who and just want to enjoy enjoying it, then welcome to my house. I'm going to watch a Doctor Who story nominated by a friend of mine. I'm Emily Cook. My name is Gary Russell. Uh, Johnny Candon here. I'm Richard James. Uh, my name's Emma Reeves. I am Andrew Cartmel. I've asked them to tell me what it is they love about it. It could be a performance, a scene, a fact, a joke, or even a hat. And I have to guess what their favourite things are. Uh, and in the last 50 minutes, I have broken my collarbone, I've been captured by three South Africans, and I've sucked the innards from a potato. So in many ways, we've had the exact same experience. We are going to accentuate the positive. I'll punctuate my commentary with facts, observations, ideas, and maybe even jokes. And some facts that may turn out to be observations, or perhaps even jokes and even and you'll love this bits you'll probably want to correct me on hooray all our guests have one thing in common they are fans of doctor who this month's guest goes above and beyond their dna can be found running throughout the show's fandom his many contributions include commentaries and book publications we look forward to his dvd bonus features sometimes as much as the stories themselves he is a historian keeping the memory of those we've lost alive via the guardian and his podcast output is frankly mind-boggling. He is a writer, an actor, a comedian, a podcaster, and according to his Facebook profile, a professional anorak. <laughs> Last week, my wife excitedly drew my attention to the American trailer for Six Minutes to Midnight, a recently released film featuring our guest, and I explained everything he's done for Doctor Who, and she responded, wow, it sounds like he needs to take a nap. <laughs> Luckily for us, he's forgone napping and joined us today. Toby Haydoke, welcome to Who and Company. Well, uh, it's very nice to be here. Um, I'm, I'm in that trailer for about as long as I'm in the film, so don't <laughs> get too excited. But, but the uh, important yeah. thing is, you're in both the trailer and the film, so that's, Absolutely. that's a thing. Looks like, yeah. a, 
looks a good film. We're, we're excited to eventually watch it when it becomes available. It's yeah. a good, and, and, and I'm in a lovely costume designed by the woman who designed, well, it's, it's off the peg because it's a period piece, but um, bestowed upon me by the woman who designed the Ninth Doctor's costume. So the costume designer on the movie is Lucinda Wright, who did, uh, who did Doctor Who when it came back, which I didn't know until I got there. So that was quite exciting. Wow. Look at that. I mean, that could be the most Tobiest response to anything. <laughs> it's like, hey, there's a movie coming out. Let me tell you its connection to Doctor Who. <laughs> well, and it was directed by Andy Goddard, who directed The Next Doctor. Wow. There you go. There the you reason, go. I'm, so the cool. reason I'm in the film is because I interviewed him for Who's Round ages and ages ago. And then when they were looking for a comic to play a comic, um, I popped into their, their heads. Because um, I, I, we kept in touch since since doing it and I, I know his wife through something else but um yes but it was indirectly through through my podcast that i got cast in a movie so uh. that's i mean right so anybody uh listening to this podcast now who want to cast any any of the three of us in uh, yeah. your future films <laughs> either as uh you know if you have parts for comedians um children's librarians uh, you know any anything uh, well they're, they're doing galaxy quest 2 aren't they i think we could save we could save the universe from afar, couldn't we? Yes, it's entirely done via, via podcast and Zoom yeah. call. I'll be the standby rhythm guitarist. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, and I, I, we can't see what Brent is wearing, but both Toby and I are wearing relatively red shirts. Uh, mm, so, I mean, you know, we don't have to be in this for very long. <laughs> yes, Captain. Yeah. Of course, Captain. We'll beam down. Oh! Yeah, we're 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 the pre we're the pre-credits Jeopardy, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) And that's the episode wrap on red-shirted guys. (laughs) Well, uh, we, boy, it really is mind-boggling to say this, but for the last twelve episodes, we've begun each and every one of our podcasts by checking in with our guests to finding out how their lockdown is is happening and going on. So, Toby, how's your lockdown been? Well, I mean, okay, I, I, I feel bad saying it because I know there's been, you know, some people have, have, have had genuine difficulties, but we've, la- I mean, I, I've been able to work from home, so I've been lucky in that regard. In fact, if anything, I was doing too much before lockdown because as a self-employed person, I don't say no to anything. Uh, and, you know, so it was always living out of a bag and everything. So it was nice to have some sort of enforced um, stay-at-home time uh and um yeah we we you know we're fortunate enough that uh, I, my my kids aren't very far away um uh and um so I, I i've quite enjoyed the slowing down and i've done a bit in the garden and i mean i haven't done I, I mean for all of my life i've said if only i mean i finish that script and i'll put those shelves up and i'll write that novel uh, and i'll get that quatermass book done all i need is to stop and not have anything to do for like 12 months. Well, it turns out that when I stopped and had nothing to do for 12 months, I didn't do any of those things. Those <laughs> shelves still haven't been put up. That Creative Mass book still hasn't been finished. So I was lying, you know, oh yeah. And I'll, I'll just, I'll get fit if I don't have, you know, if I don't keep having to do things for work. I've actually probably put weight on because it's a, it's apocalypse vibe, isn't it? I've watched too many things set in a dystopian or apocalyptic future where people just live off, you know, packet of crisps they find in supermarkets. So we <laughs> hunkered down with junk food, you know, we didn't suddenly live off the land. Um, but it's no we've been we've been we've been okay and i've been you know i've been able to podcast uh, and and do other stuff. i built a little sound studio in the corner of the house um and i, I don't like to be idle so I, I, i've 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 actually been really 
really busy, but I've also had time to walk the dog, do the garden, and do all of that stuff as well. So I, I, I think I've watched enough of Survivors and The Walking Dead and things like that to actually <laughs> slightly hunker for those simpler times when, when we have to make do. <laughs> I think the theme of this month's podcast is Toby does not like to be idle. Uh, it's certainly, certainly... Well, it's, it's because I think I'm quite lazy. Um, and so I give myself stuff to do. And it's because... Like the podcasts, for example, I've got loads of things I should have been doing, like this Quatermass book, like an audio book I'm supposed to be doing, various bits. So instead of doing those, if I'm not in the mood, I'll go, oh, well, I'll do a podcast then, because then at least I'm doing something. But I don't know if that means that I end up doing the things I'm not supposed to be doing to get in the way of the things that I should be doing. But uh, my, my feeling is, so long as I'm doing something, um, I'm justifying my time here. Brent, how are you holding up? Uh, things are fine here. Everybody's doing well. I've gotten my vaccine. My my wife hasn't yet because our state hasn't started that group of people yet, but uh, it should be very soon. Uh, as far as what I've been watching lately, I have developed a rather unhealthy obsession with Criminal Minds, so I've already watched three seasons in the last month. <laughs> wow. With wow. with accompanying uh nightmares to go along with it, but uh it's it's uh, such a great show. It's addictive. I've heard from from many people who who uh, enjoy it. I don't have an uh, a what I'm watching update. Um around this time last month, uh for my birthday, I received a really nice board game and instead of watching tv in the evening almost without fail every single night my wife and i have been taking our tv time and just sitting down and playing board games and it's been really kind of fabulous i mean i finished up wandavision i'm i've caught up on uh falcon and winter soldier we still watch you know monty dawn on sundays and and uh bake off in the evenings to like you know but when we're we're getting tired like it's it's like the this most charming stress-free show but it's perfect right before bed but like as far as active television watching we're not i we're love not the really fact you it. watch monty don we love monty don we love monty don oh we... that, I, that so makes me happy <laughs> uh I, I think it's what episode uh, season 57 right now uh no literally <laughs> no joke i'm not i'm not kidding it's it's season 57 it just started last week um everything's starting to pop up in the garden right now uh we are most of our days are spent like just kind of if i have a free time in the morning it's been spent doing yard work because it's it's the end of march and you know things are turning green and the flowers are starting to come up and and that's i mean i i toby talked about i had an entire year off basically and i've i've done next to nothing and it's you know like do i panic in a crisis no but apparently i i I get much lazier than I probably should be, and there's a number of projects. I've got a I've got a script that I need to turn into an audiobook that's been sitting on my desk for over a month, and I haven't started on it. And I'm sure I'm just gonna they're gonna be like, you know what? Never mind. We're gonna find somebody else, um, and that's that's on me. But yeah, Monty Don is is certainly an inspiration to get out there and and play in the dirt. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Is he from? Is he the guy from Gardener's World? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I watched one of those, and he's like the uh, the Bob Ross of gardening. <laughs> you're you're exactly right. He is. There's something just utterly, utterly charming about Monty Don. Like yeah, he, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very. It's very. He's very soothing and calming. Uh, yeah. And he's a genuine. You know, he's he's obviously a, 
a genuine aficionado of what he does. You know, he loves his job and there's something, there's nothing quite so infectious as somebody that, you know, is very into what they're doing. And it just makes for charming television. I would say even if you're not particularly into gardening, you just, it carries you away with its sheer charm. Yeah, and the, just the sheer number of episodes. You know, <laughs> yeah. The nice thing, the nice thing too, is it's like okay, we're we're missing Armani Don when it's not on, but we can find out. You know, I can watch what Monty's been doing this time last year, and the year before that, and the year before that, and it's it's not that it's the same, but you can see what he's been planting, and you can watch the garden develop over time, and it's it's really very incredibly pleasant to just. Uh- and there's no inter-series continuity contradictions, you know, so it's not right. like in series 42 he went, I absolutely hate dahlias, and then in series 56 he went, I've I've always loved dahlias, and whoever says <laughs> the opposite is a lie, with fans going, I can't rationalise series 42, Monty, with series 56, Monty. I mean, and who's your favourite Monty? There's been so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, he has been through his the dog, sadly. He was, his, oh, I know. It was heartbreaking last year when my... Nigel the dog passed away. Yeah. I genuinely cried. No, and we did too. And it's it's kind of a wonderful thing where you, you know, never had a really big speaking part on, on the series, but, you know, the presence was always there, right? So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is the Monty Don Show. Welcome back. <laughs> uh, we're going to find out how your azaleas are going. Um, well, let's talk Let's talk um, entertainment business because we we're talking around it. Um uh, Toby, you seem to really enjoy being a part of the entertainment business, seeing as you're in so much of it. Um, how did that get started? What's your origin story? Well, I've, I've loved you. It's very sweet of you to say that I'm in it. I always feel like, and I know a lot of people feel like this, you always feel like you're sort of tapping on the window, still <laughs> waving frantically, hoping somebody that will, will notice, which is, again, why I'm always made my own stuff but yeah I've, I've been lucky I, I, I'd i always wanted to be an actor um, and I was doing drama at university but I also had, did an academic degree as well because um, uh, my mum didn't want me to put all my eggs into one basket uh, that also contained grease paint and unfulfilled ambitions uh, and um, whilst at university I started doing stand-up because a friend started a stand-up night um, and by the time I finished you know a lot of my, my friends went off to drama school because they could afford it we didn't really ever have any money so um and I, i'd started getting a few paid gigs as a comic and again i'm quite sort of lazy and i'm quite fearful of change and moving and things like that so i just sort of stayed where i was and um did stand up um for, for a while until i got decent at it and then i by ch- series of accidents started a stand-up comedy club that meant i then was doing regular stand-up every week um but at the same time, I was acting in theatre shows and stuff like that, so I managed to get an acting agent and uh, and then just sort of motored along um, um, uh, and, and have been used, you, you know, and, and most people's career in this business is a sort of mosaic of different things. So I've got, I do a fair few voiceovers. I'm lucky for that. I, I've done lots of radio drama, but because of that um, and because of my one-man show that I did about Doctor Who that was a stand-up thing, um, that got me involved in that. That brought me to the attention of the sort of the wider Doctor Who world, if you like, because I've never really been part of fandom. Um, but also got me a little bit of a niche in 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 you know in with the BBC and people like that as well. Um, and I got my own series on 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 the BBC based on my Doctor Who show. Um, so that that opened up another little door. So you know I've just got these 
various little bits and bobs where um and, and that got me writing so then I, I was a producer at bbc radio liked what i did uh and and i'd always written for sort of fun and then here was somebody saying you know oh, you know i produce plays for the bbc and I've, I've had friends who for years have been trying to get plays on the BBC and I just sort of wandered in quite by accident. So it's, whereas, you know, there have been things where I think, why haven't I been able to do that? And other people have seemingly wandered in. So it's a sort of salutary lesson there and going, there's no, you know, there's no rhyme nor reason why some of these things happen. And I'm fortunate that I enjoy it all. So I've, I've never resisted it. And, and, and I've always managed to to work. And, you know, I think when you start out, you think, well, I'm... I'm you know, I want to play Hamlet at the Royal Shakespeare Company or I want to be the lead in a TV series. 25 years down the line, you just go, because it's a business with a high casualty rate, you just go, I haven't had a proper job for 20 years. I, I, that's That in itself is a sort of achievement that I've managed to, to you know, keep gainfully employed doing bits and bits and bobs, really. Um, and, you know, writing for The Guardian, that just came about because I didn't feel certain people who made quite good contributions to TV were getting enough notice. And I kept ringing the Guardian saying, well, you know, you, you haven't done a, an obituary for that person. And they'd go, well, why don't you do it then? And, and, and then gradually, and then they started coming to me. So um, I've just sort of made things happen, but by accident. Um, and, and I keep spinning lots of plates and uh, eventually somebody will put food on one of them. That's great. <laughs> That's a great phrase. I've never heard that. I, I love well, that. No, it just sort of came out. I don't know where it came. I'm trying to examine <laughs> the logic of it now. Someone puts food on it. No, but it makes get sense. Very messy. <laughs> you have to eat it very quickly. Yeah. Brent, have you ever tried doing stand-up comedy? No. Yeah. I think the idea of trying to script a joke is terrifying is terrifying um a couple years back that was going to be my new year's resolution was i was going to try one evening i was going to try to create a five minute set and i i didn't even get into a minute of it because i just like the i, I comedy paralysis and i i've done over i've done more than a decade's worth of improv i have no qualms about being thrown up on stage and to pull things out of my head but to the idea to script it but maybe that's your your way to do it though, because when I, I am seeing yeah. the same the same couple of clubs every week, and they have regular audiences, so there's no way I could write a new set every week for those people. So I now go on and I make it up. So uh, and and that was purely out of again sort of laziness, and I realised I could sort of get away with it, and again spin plates while I was there and talk to the audience and go up with a vague idea of some subjects that I might talk about. But I'd find that if I prepared something, it was often never as good as what you can produce in the moment. So maybe your way of doing it is not, I know acts who scribble notes and notes and notes and notes and are very tightly scripted, but I also know people who just go up with a vague idea of what they're going to say and they, they sort of weave it in the moment. And that's why live comedy is so good because you can sort of tell it's happening there and then and you can actually tell overly scripted stand-up. So it's actually quite freeing as a comic to suddenly go, oh, I, I don't actually need that safety net of knowing what I'm going to fall back on. One man shows like I do in Edinburgh, like the Doctor Who ones, they have a story to them. So they sure. have to have certain things that you place because you, you have callbacks and you have, and the structure there is very important. But for a sort of, for a live set, um, I think tear up the bits of paper and just, uh, and just go on and rely on your improv stuff. And uh, the fact that so many people are looking at you and you're the only one that's allowed to talk means that you'll find, you'll find you'll fill the vacuum. 
Uh, I wasn't necessarily going to mention this, but the fact that you're talking about tearing up your bits of paper reminds me when I first sort of came a, became a part of fandom, realized that I was a Doctor Who fan and not just someone who liked the show but actually wanted to be a part of fandom, I got a very unique opportunity to do some interviews, and I was terrified to do so. So I wrote to every podcaster I knew uh, at that time was not many and asked them, you know, like, what are your advices for I- interviewing uh, a doctor? And um, I think I think it was Stephen Chapansky. I was trying to find the, e- the email, and it might have either been something that he wrote to me or something that he talked about on one of his podcasts. But he's like, well, I take my advice from Toby Haydock, who basically said, don't write questions ahead of time. Just have a conversation with them. Uh, and I was like, who is this Toby Haydock person who tells me to rip our questions up and, and uh, <laughs> just go for it? <laughs> I, I wonder if it, this is just all revealing how lazy I am. <laughs> Let's go. No, no, it's, it's, there's, there's an absolute reason why uh, I don't do anything in advance. Um, but, I, I, but it's also it's what suits you. It's, it's, it's you know, I've got plenty of Matthew Sweet, who's a brilliant interviewer. And, and you see, I don't consider myself a, a proper interviewer or any of those things. This is all stuff I just sort of did in my spare time. So I don't consider myself a professional journalist in the way that, say, Matthew Sweet is. But Matthew, when we, he and I interviewed the same people at Doc 250th anniversary because they, they repeated the panels. So they'd have a panel, say, with Janet Fielding, Sarah Sutton and Matthew Waterhouse. And they'd have it at 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. And Matthew would do the panel at 11 a.m. and I'd do the panel at 2 p.m. So we each got to do everybody. And I suspect those panels were very different because Matthew is a very clever journalist who does his research and could probably tell you you know who was chancellor of the exchequer when time flight was on whereas uh i sort of live and breathe the doctor who side of things and could tell you you know who who played the plasmatons um so if they go who was that extra with the beard i'll be able to tell you that um uh but that stuff is sort of in me whereas matthew is, is 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 because he's a journalist and therefore journalists i think have to be accountable for mistakes you know he makes sure that it's all sort of in place whereas because i'm a sort of actor and a performer and a comic i'm perhaps a bit more free-flowing and i don't think either way is better than the other you get very different things um i think matthews is the proper way of doing it i would always defer to him because he's a he's a highly regarded journalist but um but I couldn't do what he does, but he equally probably couldn't do what, what, what I do because we're different people. And I think and I think with a podcast, somebody sent me a really nice message yesterday when I was worrying about something that I'd done. And they said they're not tuning in for a podcast. If they're, your, if, you know, if they're tuning in for your thing, they, they want what you do. So don't second guess yourself. And that's advice I always give comics as well. Don't try and do what you think the audience want because then you're not pleasing you and you're not pleasing them and they can see that it's not quite genuine. Um and so any podcaster, any interviewer, I, I would always just go, just if, if the core of it is you, you know, everything else will sort of flow naturally because then you're not second guessing what you're supposed to be doing or what people are thinking or you're just going, well, I'm just going to do what I do now in the moment. And if you're confident enough, and that's the other thing I say to stand-ups, you know, even if you don't feel confident, don't let them know that and they'll believe you. <laughs> You know, it's it's a it's a bit of a con trick. So if you don't show a chink in your armor, they won't they won't you know, you know they they, they won't see any stumbles. So be yourself, I think, is the key. So uh, Doctor Who, a show that you know absolutely nothing about. Uh, when did you first start watching it? <laughs> it's one of my earliest memories. I I I mean I 
I, I, I rem- it was episode one of The Invisible Enemy, and it must have been the summer repeats that they did. Was it summer? Th- oh, maybe it's August. I can't remember. But um, I knew it had been on before because when it started, my brothers, I've got older brothers and an older sister, but my, one of my brothers said, oh, I remember this. This is where their faces turn all furry. And lo and behold, something comes out of the, 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 the control column, and the next time you see them, they take the masks up and they've got big furry faces and, and silvery eyebrows and I remember going oh wow so they've seen this before and they like it and it's thing and so I remember that and I remember the title sequence and a couple of bits from from that episode and then I've got sort of snatched memories from there from there on so none of my life memories are really without Doctor Who and um, I mean it's a it's a bit of an old cliche my dad left when I was four so at around that time um, uh, and my brothers and sisters were older uh, my mum was on her own and had to go back to work and, and, and sort of to make ends meet was pretty non-stop. But we lived, we were lucky. We had quite a sort of big old house full of books and uh, nooks and crannies. Um, uh, and I was largely left, largely on my own. Um, and so I, I educated myself and filled those, you know, empty spaces and probably, uh, you know, a psychoanalyst would say filled the, the paternal gap there with a with a father figure um but also i think i've got i've yeah i do have the the sort of um a, a slightly spectrumy makeup and uh, and uh, uh, you know the fact that doctor who is something that has a history that you can piece together or not that there is lots to delve into that there is lots of, not just in terms of the fictional story but also the factual story of you know who made it and when it started and all that sort of, there's so much there to find out that i would lose hours of what would otherwise be empty days um, and because I'd got older brothers, they'd got Doctor Who books that were dotted in shelves around, so you'd find them, and I'd put them in order, and I'd, I'd read them even before I could read. So it was very much there, filling all the gaps in my childhood, but also firing my imagination, and you know the stories that I would write or play or improvise or whatever were all around, were all around Doctor Who. So it, it not only filled the gap in my childhood, it also sort of created the monster you see before you now, or the, the, the you know <laughs> the, 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 that creative zeal. I think was. If, if not born there, certainly nurtured and, and, and fed through, you know, the storytelling of Doctor Who, both on screen and off. Is there a um, is there a doctor that sticks more with you than than the others or, or uh, maybe a companion or a story that's your favorite? Well, Tom Baker was was my doctor. Um, I mean, he was the doctor. But in those days, the, well, you know, they, they were they were not coy about uh, previous doctors. So. I, I mean, I must have known there were other Doctors pretty much straight away because the Target books that I remember singing from the shelf were, you know, Doctor Who and the Cybermen, the Demons, the Abominable Snowmen. They'd all got different Doctors on, on the cover. And we knew that William Hartnell was the old one who was dead. Um, uh, and so uh, so the, much as I love Doctor Who in the, the present... As as it as it sort of went on, I remember I didn't like Peter Davison at all, which is mad now because he's one of my favourites, and I think he's probably consistently he he and Patrick Trout, and I think are consistently the best actors to have played the part in the in the in the original run. Um, I think they're all great. I like all the Doctors, but I think I think the performances of those two as character actors in in Doctor Who and in their other work are, are just so good. Whereas Tom Baker, I think, just is Doctor Who. <laughs> and, uh, um, and so, but I, so, so then, when, so I've I've always very much, I think, and I'm not sure it's healthy. I've always very much looked back, and, and again, psychoanalysts would say you're looking for an ideal past. I always looked back as though Doctor Who was great 
then and not so good now. And I think I've always enjoyed Doctor Who more in retrospect. So the Davison era, I learned to love many years later when I collected all the other videos and went, well, I better start watching Peter Davison, even though he's not there, and go, oh my God, he's brilliant. And wow, this story, this Frontios, a story nobody ever talks about. I remember watching Frontios and go, nobody even talks about Frontios. This is amazing and he's brilliant in it. So it means it's nice because it means I always rediscover stuff and love it. But I think there's a lesson there in in cautioning yourself to enjoy the present and not worry. I think I think because I, an early memory for me is when Doctor Who was taken off the air. Uh, which had seemed impossible because Doctor Who was just there to be there through my life, through my brother's lives. It was a it was a constant. It had existed before we were born. The idea that it would never be was odd. So then there was always the threat of cancellation hanging in the air after that. And even when it came back, you know, we're even now we look at the viewing figures because we're terrified it might be taken away. And of course, that terror means you're not enjoying the present because you're worried about the future, which hasn't happened yet, or looking back to a past which was ideal that you can never recapture because it's gone. So um, so I did love Tom Baker because everybody loves the Doctor that they grew up with. But I also looked back and the bits of Patrick Trout and I saw um, I just thought were absolutely amazing. So so I would tell people that my favourite Doctor was Patrick Troughton. And I think now it's probably a tie between Patrick Troughton and Tom Baker. I think they're both... Because they flit so effortlessly between um, sort of danger and uh, comedy um, and are equally adept at, at, at both. Um, and have that slightly magical quality that I don't think you can capture or act either. They, they both just have it. Yeah, and in that uh, in the fiftieth anniversary year, you were part of a uh, a really big. Uh, to me, I think it was the best part of the fiftieth year was the adventure in space and time, mm. uh, and you had a small part in that. Yes, I had. A, <laughs> I had a small. It's an interesting story that actually, um, uh, <laughs> and I I was pleased to be involved in 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 something. It was very nice. Um, and what happened was I got a text from my then agent, the then will become apparent very shortly, uh, when I was at a Doctor Who convention um, in America. And she said, when are you back from America? Um, might have an audition for you on, you know, when, I can't remember if she specified when. I said, I'm, I'm coming back on, you know, on Monday um, but huh, if it's an audition for Doctor Who, um, let me know and I'll see about coming back early. And she went, oh, if it's an audition for Doctor Who, I'll fly you back myself. We went, ha, 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 ha. Oh, that's right, because she'd specified it was Andy Pryor, the casting director. So I didn't just pluck it out of nowhere. So anyway, I heard no more. So I presumed, oh, it was probably just for, 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 for nothing much and probably not much of a part. So she didn't bother to drag me back from the States for that. And I, and, and I called the office about something about three weeks later. And, I, and her assistant was in. And I said, oh, well, by the way, what was it that Andy Pryor wanted to see me for? Because it's always, always useful to know what a casting director you want to work with has, has brought you in for because it gives you an idea of what they think of you and, and, and how they bracket you, you know. So if they said, you know, it was, for, it was for an aristocrat in a period drama, you go, I'll keep an eye out for period dramas that are being cast by Andy Pryor and make sure I remind him or whatever. Uh, and Taurus <laughs> just went, oh yeah, that was for a film uh, that was about the making of the first episode of Doctor Who. And I went, you know when I said to you all, if it's for Doctor Who, uh, I'll come back. Did nobody in the office think, well, it's not for actual Doctor Who, but it is It is about Doctor Who. So I was going to be seen for Adventure in Space and Time. And anyway, I, I'd 
As it happens, by coincidence, I'd been in touch with Mark Gatiss, who I'd never met at this point, because I'm writing this book about Quatermass, and he loves Quatermass, and he very kindly agreed to meet me for lunch. Uh, so I met him for lunch uh, and told him this story. I was like, you're never going to be... And he went, oh, well, we actually haven't quite finished casting it, because I thought, you know, too much time had passed and, and they'd blown it and... Uh, and, and that was that. And, and I think they had done, you know, they'd, they'd cast 90% of it. And he said, we've actually still got a couple of bits that we, we haven't cast. So um, I'll, I'll have a word with Andy. Well, let's let's make sure we get you in. And so I then emailed my agent. <laughs> she said, she said, oh, yeah, well, uh, she said, no, no, it's definitely been cast because we've got a couple of people in it. And I went, well, look, I've just had lunch with Mark Gatiss. And he said, it hasn't entirely been cast and that you should drop Andy Pryor a line. And she said, well, why don't you get your friend to give me a ring? And I went, he's not my friend. It's Mark Gatiss, who's the writer and executive producer of the project and one of the League of Gentlemen. Uh, and then it, 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 I didn't write this bit, but sort of open brackets. And I'm mildly pissed off you don't know who he is. Close brackets. <laughs> um, you haven't exactly got your finger on the pulse. Uh, uh, and I said, can, can you chase it? So anyway, um, uh, then Mark emailed me about something else or just to say, um, you know, I've thought of something else for the Quatermass thing. By the way, I've spoken to Andy, blah, 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 blah. So eventually, I, and I got seen. And I got I got seen for the part of the guy who plays all the monsters. Now, I don't think the Internet Movie Database even quite has figured out because the Internet Movie Database thinks the caveman was Tony Robinson, uncredited, which it wasn't. It was Roger May, who's actually married to a friend of mine, Hilary McLean. Um, and Roger plays the guy in the Cyberman suit, the guy who's in the Dalek suit, the caveman, the Roboman. He's basically the... It's, it's more prominent in the script. He keeps trying to big up his part. So you've got this guy who keeps going, I'll, I'll do that bit, blah, blah, blah. So... Um, so I read for that, uh, and, and it was written as quite posh, and the director said, um, oh, can you do it a bit more sort of regional or something? So I did it like a lot of the sort of Cockney, um, you know, the Derek Martins, the Pat Gormans, a lot of those supporting artists were guys who worked on Camden Market. And I did it like that, and he really liked it, and, and I noticed that, you know, he was ticking, and, uh, and it was really nice. It was a really good meeting, but I just did the, had in the back of my hand, he plays a Cyberman, he plays a Roboman. Uh, uh, if there's somebody tall... I'm screwed. And I got an email from Mark saying, give me a bell. And I thought, now he's either give, he's either wants me to ring him to let me down gently or to, I said, it's got to be, it's got to be to let me down gently because they'd have just offered me the part otherwise. And I thought, well, that's that. So I rang him uh, and he said, Toby, we really like what you did. And I said, but you've gone for somebody tall, haven't you? And he went, we, We've gone for somebody tall. I went, you know, it's, it's fine. I said, and I was like, well, I'm, I'm happy because I, 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 I knew it had gone well. And I would have loved to have done that. And funny enough, to do the audition, I had to put off a podcast interview I was doing with two of the Vord. So I had to ring them and sort of say, I'm, I'm auditioning to play you in a film. <laughs> Can we leave it for a couple of days? So they were fine about that. <laughs> uh, and um, and it would have been a lovely thing to do. But then Mark Raceway, he said, he said, I don't know if you remember the script, there's this barman. Uh, who's got who's got a line and uh, and I went, oh yeah yeah and he said well that we were going to do that as a as a sort of extra with a sort of over the shoulder thing he said but well, I'll give him a couple more lines and you know it won't it won't be very good money or anything but if it, I figured you'd rather be in it than not and I went you were absolutely right I said as long as I'm you know it's a proper part and I'm a credited actor in it I you know that's that's that works for me so that's how we did it and then he very sweetly came up to me on the floor of the set and said what's what's your name and I said what do you mean he said well Barman's not going to look as good as a name on the credits is it 
So uh, that's why he's called Cyril, because he's named after Cyril Shapps, who played Viner in Tomb of the Cybermen and uh, Lennox in Ambassadors of Death and the Archimandroid in Androids of Tara and Professor Clegg in Planet of Spiders. So so that's why there was some confusion as to who I actually was, because I think I ended up on, on Wikipedia as the caveman for a bit. Um, uh, Cyril the caveman. But Cyril is the barman at the BBC who refuses to serve Whereas to say, and, and it's it's not a massive part, but it was nice to be there. And so what I did was, because it wasn't a massive part, I literally didn't tell anybody that I was in it. So that uh, all of my friends watching then texted me on the night and went, why didn't you tell me that? Um, so that was that was my way of making it sort of a, a little bit extra special. Um, but no, it was great to be, I mean, you know, it's it's nice doing the commentaries and all of that sort of thing. But But as I am an actor, it was nice to do an acting thing rather than a you know talking head or or you know I, I love the fact that I presented stuff on stage at the 50th anniversary thing but 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 the actor in me um was pleased that I got to act in a Doctor Who project when you know everything about Doctor Who was was flying about despite the best efforts of my then agent to <laughs> to, to make it not happen uh she's not my agent anymore <laughs> I remember watching that one uh time and space and going that bartender looks familiar. <laughs> and I that think I watched it. Bartender. <laughs> well, I think it's a really incredible part because it it really does that if they had gone with just a single line or no line at all, it doesn't set up the relationship of of what Hussein is is kind of dealing with in in that time period and it really feels a part of the the difficulties of what was trying to be accomplished, which makes the fact that it even got made that more impressive. And it, it's slight and it's subtle, but it's really important. It, it well, really builds. And, it's, and it is quite a moment. And what was interesting was that I said to a couple of friends, I said, yeah, it's a shame I didn't get the part I, I went for. And they were, well, what part was that? And I was like, so the guy that played all the monsters? And they went, what? Um, no, we no, we didn't really notice that, but we noticed the barman. So now it might be that they were being nice, but I th- but I think I I think it made more of an impression because, as you say, it was a, a vital moment that I perhaps in my vanity of just going, but I've only got three lines, um, hadn't uh, picked up on. Um, and there was all sorts of other stuff that was in it that didn't sort of quite come across, which is always the case with scripts. There are always bits that get diminished or change their emphasis or whatever. Um, so I was quite, I was very pleased to see that in the final cut, um, uh, yeah, it, it 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 made an impression in the way that some other stuff perhaps didn't. So, yeah, I'm 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 very happy, and my name's there on the credits. So um, I'll, there'll always be something when I'm dust beneath the ground. I'll be a little footnote there in uh, in Doctor Who history. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I alluded to this in the intro, but I think you're going to be more than a little note in Doctor Who history. I mean, and that and that's the thing is you're you you are very visible. Uh, but that's if, that's all being a fan. I don't, see. I don't see that as anything to do with my professional career. That's just me. I'm 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 a fan, and I don't and I don't believe in hierarchies of fandom because fans are all appreciators of a thing. So we are all equal under the gaze of Doctor Who. So the fact that I've written a few things or or get to interview people and stuff doesn't make me any. And I don't want to be any more of a fan than anybody else. I think anyone that that wants to be king of the fans is an absurd person. But as a professional, um, 
you know, as a as a writer, as a as a as a comedian, as a as an actor, those are the things that I see as my sort of, I guess my my achievements in a way. Whereas all the sort of fan stuff, well, that's just my that's just my hobby. Do you know what I mean? Sure. So, I know. Um, it's a valid it's a valid opinion. Um, <laughs> but who is making Doctor Who today? The fans, the fans who were fans as children and and who is going to be making Doctor Who in the future and it's going to be the the folks who are fans who are young fans today and and part of that the the fact that there's a history to even appreciate you are a big part of making that accessible and available for people who want to learn more and and, you know as a fan I we appreciate as fans we appreciate your contributions so well bless you well I'm I'm lucky I I get to make the pro when I was put in a position where I could make programs or pitch programs, I basically um, tried to make stuff that I would want to watch. You know, it's been, well, if nobody else is making a documentary about the guy who wrote the censor rights, um, I'll do that and hope people like it. And fortunately there were enough people who liked it. So. Well, that, that piece is amazing. It's so good. Um, I, I told folks that we were, we were going to be interviewing you and and i said you know like let's let's what would you recommend you know like what what are your talking points about um top top three you know toby and and i got a lot of folks coming back and that one that one the sense right piece was in particular was really highly regarded uh any of your cookbook pieces <laughs> which <laughs> i have I watched thought people would hate videos. that oh it's so good it's so good it's i thought so that good. was going to be the moment i jumped the shark no. Because I find it very difficult to say no, especially to Chris Chapman, because he's so good. But very much the archaeological pieces are mine. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of comedy, but I, but if I'm going to watch comedy, I'll watch the greats. I won't necessarily watch, um, you know, some people with a vague connection to Doctor Who, you, you know, m- mucking about. I'll, I'll watch, you know, I'll watch Faulty Towers instead or whatever. Um, so the idea, so, so I'm always a bit uneasy about, um, uh you know, light-hearted stuff on, on the DVDs. My my taste, my personal taste is much more for the sort of forensic historical stuff. But but I we had this jokey idea about doing the Doctor Who cookbook that we, we came up with when we were doing the Matthew Waterhouse thing. And Chris pitched it and it and then Russell said yes. And I was just like, oh God, people are people are gonna get fed up of me because I'm on quite a lot of these things. Um and it's alright if every time you produce something it's good. Because then people go, well, no, okay, he hasn't outstayed his welcome because this piece was interesting. I thought, me arsing about with the cookbook, making Doctor Who's multimedia, people are going to hate this. And, of course, it shows how much I know. It's been the most popular one. Oh, that's <laughs> great. And my personal favourite My personal favorite is the uh, Haydock versus Havoc, where you reunited right. all the Havoc members and, and you learned how to do a stunt. That yeah. Was yeah, I've that's again that shows how I think how Chris's instincts as a as a as a program maker work is that I, I love the idea of getting the old boys back together. I thought that was a really neat idea, and I and I think I think because I I'd, I'd known Derek Ware because he'd worked on the first theatre job I'd ever done, and he was the fighter ranger on that, and he'd, and, I'd, and he was I think he might even have been the first Doctor Who person I met. Um, uh, uh, and so I, 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 I've always been very fond of of those guys, and because spotting them in the programs is part of the fun. But then when Chris said, "Oh yeah, and we will get you to do a stunt," I was like, "What?" And then he said, "And and you're going to jump off uh, an 18 foot 
war. I thought, well, that doesn't sound. 18's not a very big number, is it? And I, and I, you, I think actually, when you look at it on the film, it doesn't look that big. You get up on top of it, though. My God, um, and it's so counterintuitive to jump to jump off something, and it's it's even more counterintuitive to jump off something and tuck your head so that you can't see where you're going. Do you know what I mean? Because if you tuck your head to give yourself the momentum to do the roll, to land safely on your back, you're suddenly not looking at the thing you're falling towards. And you just imagine you'll either snap your neck or you'll bang your head on the on the platform of what you've jumped off. So it is totally counterintuitive. But of course, they got an 82-year-old man to do it first. So I didn't have much, <laughs> I didn't have much of a choice. Um, but I think it's so good nature because anything where you get the band back together and then Roy Scammell, you know, who's the 82-year-old man who still jumped off the thing, said, I've got, I know a mate with an aeroplane, I could fly in. And you just go, this is just ridiculous. Um, and I think there's a real sense of fun about that. And that's that's all down to Chris as a, as a programme maker. Um, and uh, as I say, I find it very difficult to say. For, for me, it's the, it's the, you know, if I'm, if I'm getting to meet and hang about with people who made Doctor Who, that's my 10-year-old self very, very happy. So, um, uh, you know, I, I, you know it's, it's very difficult for me to, to, to consider not doing it. And, um, and I, think, I, I think largely, you know, because cause the people making the programmes are so good, we've, we've produced stuff that's, that's entertaining. And I like that Habit one. And I think that one not as many people have seen because it was on the Inferno Special Edition. So I think when it comes out on Blu-ray, because a load of people have been in touch with me this week about living with Levine, the one I did with John Levine, because that was on the Claws of Axos special edition, and not everybody double dipped. So a load of people are emailing me as if I only made it last week. I wish I don't quite look the same anymore. Um, and say so that's a brilliant thing. I was like, we did that about ten years ago. Um, so I forget that actually the ones that came out on the special editions, um, people might not have actually seen. So there's a whole new audience uh, for them, which is quite fun. So, Toby, your recent Doctor Who podcast, Toby Haydock's Time Travels, has an ambitious number of segments. How did that come about? Because <laughs> I'm a bloody idiot. <laughs> um, I I spent the beginning of lockdown not being very productive. And, and I, I know I'm not alone in that. And I think, again, I, I've alluded to it before, that idea that, oh, suddenly you don't have anything to do. You can complete all those projects. And, and I was a bit lazy. Um, and I'd got little bits of work dribbling in. I was still doing comedy online and stuff, so I was able to be a little bit complacent. And then I got sort of a, a, a itchy feet and thought, I need to do something. And, I, and 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 a bit like the Who's Round podcast that I did, that was just a sort of stupid idea that now I look back on it, I go, how the hell did I do that? I interviewed 200 people about Doctor Who over the course of a couple of years. And um, that was nuts. Um, but then you look back on it and go, I'm so glad I did it. And I, there's no way I would consider doing that now, all that travel. Now, now of course, you know, I ask to interview people and I can just interview them over the phone. But in Who's Round, I thought it was important to meet them and buy them dinner and do all of that sort of thing. So I made it much more difficult than it needed to be because most people are actually perfectly happy to be interviewed over the phone. Um, but, but I thought, well, I want to do something that I can just produce at home. Um, and again, just to be producing something so that if I am too tired to write or do any research or that sort of thing, I can I can just be producing something. So I thought, what shall I do as a Doctor Who podcast? And I like the idea of doing sort of comic monologues because then I'd be sort of writing stuff. Um, and, and there's nothing quite out there that, that has a sort of Radio 4 sort of QI, thought for the day sort of sensibility inspired by Doctor Who, um, where you can sort of, you know, one week do something about the history of carrots in Doctor Who and the next week do something about a childhood birthday party that that, that was informed by missing an episode of Doctor Who or whatever. And, and, I, and I discovered with my one-man show 
something I hadn't anticipated about it because I just told my story was how many people identified with stuff that I thought perhaps was unique to me and just threw in because I'd made a funny joke or observation about it. People went, I, I identified with that and realised that some of our stories are universal no matter you know, where, where we're from or, or, and even when we were born. So I thought, well, I'll just do those sort of whimsical essays. So I, I wrote a few and realised they take ages um, and also figured that perhaps there wasn't um, an audience for those because they are quite bespoke. Um, and then I thought, well, I do like the historical stuff and I like doing biographies of, of obscure people. So I thought, well, what if I, what if I went through each, each episode one by one and did the who, what and when? the three W's it was originally going to be called, because that information's all just available in this house, um, uh, and I can just put it together. And I put one together, and it took me forever. Um, and then I thought, well, everyone's doing commentaries, and I listened to a few, and, you know, you listen to quite a few, and there's some really funny podcasts that I listen to, but you go, and they don't care if they get a fact wrong. In fact, they get loads of facts, whereas I would be furious. <laughs> and, and you go, and actually it hasn't sported my enjoyment that these guys doing these brilliant jokes have made a mistake about that because actually nobody's quite as you know spectrumy as I am uh, uh, and I thought but but I so why don't I just do a commentary where I I the onus is not on the dispensation of facts that so it's just something I can just do I could just watch a doctor and I can just talk because as we've probably discovered I can talk um, uh, it's odd I'm not like this in public I'm quite shy in public anyway let's not get into that but um so I thought, well, I'll do that. I'll do a commentary. And I, and, and, and I thought, but I need guests. So, But I need guests who don't have to be free when I'm free because then that's too much organisation. So I just thought, well, if they can record something. And I came up with this convoluted set of rules and I sent it out to a few people. And a friend of mine, a comedian called Lawrence Clark, um, who's a Doctor Who fan, um, uh, sent, sent back and said, D -d -d this is too complicated. You just sort of make it a quest, make it a quest where you have to get, if you want to get our favourite things, why don't we choose them and you see if you can guess what they are. So I sort of simplified that a little bit. And then I added the idea of, well, and why don't we make it 100% positive? Because that was the, what the book that I did with Rob Shearman was running through corridors. And that was because a few of the ones I'd listened to, uh, uh, sometimes you listen to podcasts and we're so quick to go, oh, and that's not very good. Or today, and, I, and, and some I listened to, I thought, why do you actually like Doctor Who? You seem to hate it. Uh, and it's harder to be funny being positive. It's, it's easier to be funny when you're picking fault in something. So that, that is a harder thing to do. But I, I just sensed that the, the positive thing, and I think because of lockdown as well, I thought if, if, I, if I slap on a smile and, and, and try and be upbeat and celebratory, and I got that there was something in the air to that as well because of Emily Cook's tweet-alongs and that sort of thing, and when everybody was being positive, and then somebody would come on and say something snarky, and it would ruin your day, and you'd go, no, I want to be in the nice camp, not the not the air, because we can all go air. So I thought, I don't want to be one of the airs. So, um, so I thought, well, I'll just be positive. And that's a good defence then against anybody who wants to be snarky about it. You just go, well, that's fine. You can do that somewhere else. This, 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 this corner of the internet is, is the positive bit. It doesn't mean I'm not aware that the world is a dark place and that Doctor Who is not without fault. But for the purposes of this, let's try and... And then, of course, so I sent, emailed all my friends and didn't realise that they would get, therefore go, well, I was going to choose Genesis of the Daleks, but now I've chosen Time Lash. Go, oh, you've made it <laughs> difficult for me. But that in itself is part of... Because anything that's then, you've then 
just as a storyteller in it, in it, if you want to be pretentious about it, you know, a commentary just goes nowhere. It's just going, well, I'll say what I say. But if you have an end game, which is I've got to try and wring the best out of this, you've at least got a sort of journey that you go on and you might fail, but at least it drives it a little bit. And I realised I've got enough sort of facts at my fingertips. And, and if I do make a big howler, I've created a bit at the end, and I've even done a jingle. I taught myself to make a jingle called I Think You'll Find, where if I think I've said something that was incorrect, I'll scurry away and look it up, and I'll come back, and I'll, I'll add that at the end and go, you know when I said that? That was actually wrong. So then I'm not furious with myself, but it means I don't have to sort of do whole loads of study notes before I sit down and watch the thing. And I very much react to the mood that I'm in at the time. So Kinder Part 4, which I've just done, is quite a weird one because I had quite a difficult week and it's a, and it's a, a, and Kinder is all about sort of cleansing the mind. And so I sort of go off on one about mental health. And I, and I sent it to a few friends first and said, is this okay? And they went, absolutely, that's, that's fine. That's you responding. And you're not, you're not as heavy as you think you are. You just touch on a couple of things that are, that are pertinent to now and are prompted by the story. That's what you should be doing. So, um, so that, but the whole reason behind that was to do something I could do quickly. Um, but I, I realised that I, I, I don't just churn stuff out because I want it to be good. So I do, I do put perhaps more effort in because I want it to be a professional product. Um, and I'm lucky that I've got decent sound equipment and stuff like that that I can that I can do it on. So it has taken up quite a lot of my time. But um, I'd only be on Twitter anyway. So so that's the very long story of why I've got three different. Pod oh, and I wanted to try the Patreon thing as well because people have been telling me to do that for ages. Um, so. They, they get early releases and exclusive stuff. And I thought, well, lockdown's the time to try that. And I found people have been very supportive and, uh, and, and that's been quite touching and flattering. And it means that I've got a space where I can try stuff out before I release it to the, to the wider world, which is actually quite, and, and, and those people like it because they get, you know, they get something in advance or they get to, you know, send me some feedback, but I'm not afraid of do it because they're, they're obviously there because they're supportive and because they're, they're sympathetic to what I do. Um, it means I feel safe to sort of experiment in front of them, and I found that really, really freeing and very humbling as well that people are prepared to put their their money where my mouth is. Welcome to sunny California. Who could imagine that beneath this perfect little community lies the mouth to hell? And our only hope of survival... To each generation, a slayer is born. ...is in high school. Turn up the music! Buffy, you are the slayer. I think I speak for everyone here when I say, huh? Chosen to fight. I'm Buffy, and you're history. Trained to maim. You're the slayer, and we're like the slayerettes. Dressed to kill. If there's something bad out there, we'll find. You'll slay. We'll party. She's Buffy. And no demon. Don't worry, I don't bite. No vampire. No creature from hell. What is your childhood trauma? Can stop it. Buffy! Clark Kent has a job. I just want to go on a date. Buffy, the vampire slayer. Fight evil. Bring Buffy home. If the apocalypse comes, beat me. Uh, I was going to say, I well, you know, I really enjoyed the the episodes uh, on oh, all God, all please. three of the all three of the segments um in particular i think i was listening to one the other day on on quatermass that uh, oh, yeah. you could just tell your love for that particular program uh was at its at its peak um and it it almost makes me wish that uh 
we hadn't done the episode that we did uh, previous to, so you could talk about that. But you have something else to talk about, because whenever we have a guest on the podcast, because we know that Doctor Who is not the end-all and be-all of our guest's fandom, we ask you to bring on a show that you you also enjoy and want to talk about. So, Toby, what show have you brought for us this month, and, and why did you choose it? Well, it might be a surprise for somebody with my English vowels to find that I have chosen uh, a, an American piece um, called uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I absolutely adore, having, um, I think when it came out, wanted to resist it because it was released when Doctor Who was in the wilderness, so anything that anybody liked that was vaguely sci-fi or fantasy, I saw as a pretender to Doctor Who's throne, particularly if it had beautiful Americans in it, uh, and and was somehow a, a, a representation of everything modern that was sort of wrong, because anything hip and trendy is somehow bad if you're a fusty old bookkeep like me. And I've, so, so, of course, I'd read about it in SFX magazine, all this place, and they'd be going, oh, Buffy's brilliant. I mean, I bet it's not in high school, it's just Beverly Hills 90210, but with vampires or <laughs> stupid thing and it occasionally be on and I go oh it's yes yeah, stupid thing and I go, oh, I've got this. oh and why are they oh and uh, oh, what's going to happen with, with, with Faith when she goes oh and, 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 and gradually found myself then looking forward to when it was on and then taping it when it was on and then start and then doing the backs and, and gradually became a, a, a huge fan having expected to hate it and I think it's a brilliant piece of television I think it's a brilliant piece of television that does very clever things with the genre uh, and has uh, a great gift for comedy and heartbreak and character and messing about with form and um, you know the episodes that we we will be talking about do uh, do all sorts of clever things and I love all of those characters I think it's brilliantly cast I mean it's ironic we're talking about it now because I used to envy because I used to read about the cast all going back on a Friday night and reading Shakespeare and it seemed like such a creative hub where everybody was nice to each other we're now learning that obviously things were were, were slightly different but that as a as a you know, as an archaeologist, as a TV archaeologist, you know, that, that means that we might have to reassess what we see. But but if one wants to be sort of cold and objective about that, which which you can be if you're a, an aficionado, you go, well, that's that's very interesting. How's that going to inform what we what we take away from this show? Because because for, for many years, it's one that I felt, you know, very, very buzzy and soft and warm about, even though it's not afraid to, to you know, to take you to quite dark places. Um, but I think it, what it did for the genre is is cannot be underestimated. I think, you know, and I think the fact that it wears its absurdity on its sleeve, it's called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I think is so bold and it's inviting ridicule. And it actually goes, but actually we've got far more serious intent and, and um, you know, far more fastidious, you know, writing and production than a lot of things that take themselves far more seriously, actually. And Doctor Who does that. Doctor Who travels through space and time in a police box that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. That is sort of saying, this is ridiculous. Nonetheless, with the ridiculous, you can still be deeply serious and you can still touch emotions and ideas that perhaps bigger than anything that's set in in the everyday and the ordinary. Shakespeare takes on big ideas of the metaphysical um, and deals with gods and monsters, well, you know, but kings and big things and, and witches and all of that sort of thing because it's a way of shining a light on the human condition in, in, a, in a more profound uh, way, I think, than, than perhaps ordinary everyday drama which has different ambitions and is i'm not i'm not knocking it but i'm saying i i quite a, the, the stuff that that talks about stuff on on a universal scale is the stuff that appeals to me a bit more and it also allows for performances that can 
that can take you to places as well. Yeah. No, I love it. But had you not seen it before, Brent? Is that right? That's right. Um, I was just like you. I had seen this show on, and I was like, ah, oh, like you said, nine hundred two one zero with vampires, and I was like, I don't, I don't. This looks a little cheesy for me, so I don't, I don't think I'm gonna. And I stayed away from it for years, and um, I, I remember it being very popular back then. And I even met uh, Nicholas Brendan at Chicago Tardis one year uh, when the show was being made, and. Uh, like I said, the commercials made it look a bit cheesy, so I stayed away from it. But So this week was the first time I actually sat down and watched it, and I really liked it. And yes. I'm, I'm looking forward to going back and, and watching all of it. It wasn't as silly as I thought it was going to be. It's, it's, very, uh, it's very even with, the, uh, with the, the, uh, the action and the danger and the, and the comedy. It's all, it's all very well mixed in. And it goes to some very emotionally dark places. It deals with... You know, I think in, in some sort of teen dramas, you get a sort of lesson of the week that is don't judge by appearances or whatever. But some of the lessons of the week in Buffy, I think, are, are quite, pardon me, are quite, are quite uncompromising. They're about some some truths about the way that we think and the way that we behave. And it's, and it's not afraid to sometimes not let us off the hook. And it acknowledges, because it deals with vampires and things, it acknowledges the darkness within us. And, and sometimes the lesson is, we just have to live with the darkness, and I think that that is quite a sort of profound observation. Um, that that often I think drama is not brave enough to to talk about because it looks for it looks for answers that make us happy. Whereas I think this says not all the answers make us happy, but if you retain your sense of humour and your sense of wonder and your sense of righteousness and justice, that's that's you know you could you you can negotiate your way through the darkness, um, even if we're not all as pretty and um uh, have have quite such a grasp of uh, of, of sharp-witted dialogue as as uh, the cast of buffy um but that's okay because uh, it's 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 a very high quality although as the geek uh, as the person who grew up with geek, geek nicholas brendan i think is great as xander but he was far too buff um I, <laughs> <it's> far, <laughs> do you know what i mean you got and, and they do make him work on a, a building site so therefore obviously he's you know he's doing work that's going to make him muscular and all that sort of thing. But but as 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 the as the useless male geek who wanted somebody to identify with, I go. I wish I had. I wish I had arms like that. <laughs> wish I looked that good in speedos. <laughs> I, I never noticed that until um, just to tie it in with what I said earlier. Criminal Minds. Um, I had no idea he was a a minor uh, regular cast member on there. Uh, he shows up in season three. So that's kind of weird that I was watching him in two shows in the same week. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah I didn't very, know that. very buff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I and I had the same experience that both of you did. Um, I'm, I didn't start watching it until its sixth season, um, and and the only reason I watched it, and I'd held off for the exact same reasons that both of you had mentioned. It, it just didn't seem like something I was really interested in, um, a, until so many of my friends are like, "How are you not watching this program? This is the perfect program for you. It's a, it's everything that you want." And I wasn't even a Doctor Who fan at the time um i mean I, yeah no i wasn't a f- I, I can't say that other than the maybe the uh tv movie i hadn't seen any episodes of doctor who at that point in time but someone um was recording this is back in the day when we were recording on vhs tapes uh was recording smallville and enterprise and buffy and so every week they would record all three of those and then they would hand me the vhs tape and go i, I was going to school with them it's something i met we talked to started discussing our, our nerdy qualities 
And I said, well, these are three shows that I think you'll like. And it just so happened that on the first tape they gave me was the uh, Once More with Feeling, the the Buffy musical. Uh. I'm not a, a musical person per se, but I went, okay, what? <laughs> um, is it always like this? And like, oh, no, 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 it's, it's clearly not. And I'm like, so who's that? And they're like, you know what? Why don't you just go back from the beginning and watch? So we actually, I, I had a, a kind of an idea, but we rented the, the DVDs and some VHS of, and went back from season one and watched all the way through. So um, I actually had watched, I think, most of season six before I went back and watched and, and, you know, we're not going to give any spoilers because now Brent is interested. I don't want to give anything away. Um, yeah. Brent, there's a musical episode. Um, <laughs> that's that's all I'm going to tell you. It's great. I, it's I fantastic. knew that. And, and I know that that musical episode has inspired many other shows since then to do a musical episode. Yeah. No, and I think that's I think you're absolutely right. I think that show's musical episode is what kicked off that sort of confounding fad in the late 90s, early 2000s of musical episodes where you have shows like... Well, I mean, Scrubs having a musical episode makes perfect sense, but um, like some very serious programs had musical episodes. Uh, I think was it Grey's Anatomy, ER, something. One of those Grey's had Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, Grey's Anatomy uh, has Flash a musical had, episode. The, the Flash had one recently. Yeah, but come on, Flash, that's perfect. That's <laughs> perfect. Um, but it went back and 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 it was a show that both my wife and I could both watch and really appreciate. And I think she had watched more of the earlier seasons. Uh, when it was actually on TV and I didn't for whatever reason. And it, it became a real early fandom for us, something that, I mean, like I considered going to a Buffy convention at one point in time. And because of that, I was like, ooh, is this Joss Whedon fellow? I, I think he's quite good because I had seen the movie. I don't know if either one of you had seen the movie before. Uh, Brent, have you watched – wait, wait, Toby, have you never seen the movie? No, I, no I've seen it since, but okay, I, I hadn't yeah. – but I hadn't I, – I'd, I'd seen a lot of the series before I, I dared try the movie. I went through my yeah. – ticket collection recently and found my original ticket from from when i saw it in the theaters back when it was first released so that's cool i i've never seen it i wish i had i i, I started with a two-part pilot this time and i felt like i'd missed some key elements like how she got her powers and all that sort of thing and burning down the gym um i, I remember the movie had a really killer soundtrack but uh, i never got around to seeing it I mean, you can watch the movie. It doesn't really inform anything. The, the no. pilot is, it's its not a continuation of the movie. It's sort of like has, there's this idea that Joss Whedon put together and then they decide, how do you inform this? So, you know, Buffy is sort of a mystery early on in the same way that the Doctor is okay. uh, kind yeah. of early on where you're like not 100% sure what was happening before the episode you're watching. And actually... The relationship between Buffy and Doctor Who is is quite impressive too, because I, you know, Toby, like you had mentioned, the dialogue is so good. It has changed the way that television is written, especially um, genre television, where you can have these lighthearted moments that Buffy does so perfectly well. Whedon's, I mean, like say what you will about Whedon as a human being, um, he is a sort of a quip master, and the. Mm. Television really hasn't been the same since Buffy sort of set a standard. No, um, and it was. It's, I, I owe a great debt to SFX magazine because they produced a, a, a sort of pull-out special with rating and reviewing and giving sort of key facts about every episode up to now. And I think it, it went up to the end of series three. And at that point, I'd only I sort of started watching it. 
in, in the middle of series three regularly. I'd seen the odd episode. So I, so I, so I spoiled myself because I read that over and over again, getting quite excited about stuff I hadn't seen. Because bear in mind, I mean, we're talking about a time when you couldn't just get an episode of something. So I, I actually worked with one of my managers at work, had that, had most of it on VHS and she'd occasionally I remember going into work one night on the off chance that she was in on the off chance that she'd brought season one in like she'd promised and she hadn't but I made the whole journey into town for that because those sort of halcyon days where things weren't at your fingertips and you had to sort of piece them together so I sort of worked backwards I think uh, and, I, and, and so I think I saw season one last of the of the first three and then obviously started watching an order when it was shown on on BBC two and taping it and building up my own collection. Um, so so I had to sort of so what was interesting was that I knew some of the things that were going to happen were going to happen that are quite big spoilers that I won't give away now. But my partner at the time, um, who's not a big genre person, but she she quite liked. But, you know, it was it was with her when I'd go, should we watch should we watch that Buffy? Because we quite enjoyed that last week. And so we got both got into it. So actually watching with her, I had the joy of knowing, oh, this terrible thing is going to happen and she doesn't know. So the fact that I'd slightly spoiled myself didn't matter so much because I could enjoy somebody else seeing it for the first time. But I, I do count myself quite lucky that a lot of the plot developments... And of course, because it was on in America before it was on here, we did get spoilers come through. And SFX actually had a section called the Spoiler Zone that you could tear open if you want to. And you've got that terrible thing of going, well, I, I love this series. I want to know. I want to know what's coming up. But also I, I want to experience it in, you know, in real time. So there are certain things that happened in future episodes that I didn't know were happening that were was still a, a terrible shock. And there were some that were, were, were given away. So it was it was very much that you know bridging the gap between the old way of doing things and the and the new way of doing things and i've since tried to watch it with other people to try and get the, my 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 current partner he says not as an optimist the, the temporary no, um who who likes good telly and is interested i i didn't manage to get her into it and i think maybe it is perhaps dated slightly in a way that i can't quite see because when i was watching it it was the most modern thing ever um and I think perhaps because season one is where it finds its feet and it gets truly excellent, I think, later on. I think season one is still good. And it's obviously good enough to to, to, to build on and be the success it became. But I think it becomes very, very special probably a year in, even though I think season one is, is decent. Um, so if you're enjoying season one, if you enjoy season one, Brent, I think you've got a whole host of stuff to come. The musical episode is interesting, though, because... Obviously, it's become it's almost because Buffy is so much more than its musical episode. And yet its musical episode is so good. But what it does so cleverly is that a lot of musical episodes would be a gimmick, whereas actually the Buffy musical episode, they dispense with a lot of really important plot and character development and revelations that are key that you will only understand if you've been watching the series up until that point. Whereas a lot of episodes, a lot of less bold series I think we go look this is just a weak diversion where everyone will like it because it's a bit different and then we'll get back to the the ongoing story next week this goes you cannot be up to speed with the ongoing story unless you watch the episode that happens to be the musical one so I think that's quite smart but prior to that you know do you remember Cop Rock it oh, was yeah. a Stephen Bochco series <laughs> oh, which dear. was a, a, a cop musical and I mean is largely seen as one of the biggest pieces of televisual folly ever uh, p p p 
perpetrated by a, a master of the medium, uh, you know, th there was not an appetite for musicals on formulaic TV. So it 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 was a bold, a very bold thing to do. And the fact that it's then also one of the best episodes of the show, if not the best, and and one of the all time great, I think, single episodes of of episode episodic television is is a huge achievement. Yeah, it's it's very difficult to get those songs out of my head when when I hear them. And so we don't watch that episode often because it, we know full well. Every once in a while, I'll be like, you know what I'm in the mood for? The Buffy musical episode. Apropos of nothing. Like, we, we're not... It, I, I, I'll safely say that when we watch Buffy rewatches, which we do about every two or three years, we'll be like, let's revisit Buffy favorite episodes and we usually will skip seasons one and two nothing against seasons one and two they are very monster of the week the mythology of the show really starts to kick in mid-season two uh the characters really gel what's going to be coming ahead of the the program really does kind of find its feet mid-season two with the introduction of certain characters i want to talk about certain characters <laughs> i don't want to spoil anything for brent <laughs> just just yeah just know that you like if you're enjoying what you're seeing you will, it just gets better. I think Buffy just gets better and better and better. But season six and season seven, which is what we started with, are such a very, very incredibly different tone to what seasons one through five are um, in, in its kind of serious nature and when it switched channels over. So it's it's kind of interesting that when we got into it, when I think of Buffy, I think of season six. I think of starting kind of with that area and then going back. And, and that sort of informed my... I find it to be a little too lighthearted in some ways, or maybe not lighthearted is not the word I'm looking for, but but yeah, the monster of the week idea is great because Buffy handles it so well. Um, and it's an introduction to so many characters, sorry, so many actors who have gone on to do other things. Like it's my first time introduction to Sarah Michelle Gellar, who has done a ton of other stuff. Alison Hannigan, who is huge on various sitcoms, Actually, I knew her from the American Pie movies first, but but you know, like it, it's still, she's such a start there, and and uh, God, Seth Green. <laughs> oh, brilliant! It's it's so well cast. But what I also like it's a, it's a testament to developing television mm -hmm. because it's clear that what they do is they go, ah, we know what that actor does well, or that guy that came in for one episode, we will bring that person back. And and there are, and it's lovely that you can have, there are certain characters who aren't really important characters, and yet who stay, who flit in and out, even if it's just one episode a season. And it creates this whole, and again, if you are minded to be a particular way, which I think a lot of fans are, it means that, yes, you can just tune in and watch it, monster of the week and enjoy it but there's this whole web and this whole fabric but also these these characters and it likes its characters and you like its characters and what what it does brilliantly is you like the villains and that's a that's a that's a great achievement is that you know you 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 spent and the and the and the big bad of season three and again i'm spoiling anything was i was i believe not even originally intended to be the big bad but they liked what the performer was doing and so gave them more and more to do and you can see why and i and i love that that you can sort of do an about turn as a as, a, as an evolving piece of drama because you go well we've got this person who's doing so, so why don't we give them something and, I, and as a 
as somebody who likes behind the scenes stuff as well and as a performer i like that idea that somebody could come in and do a good job and so be given a bit more to do or uh and and the the, the sheer joy that comes through in the writing then because you can tell that the writers are enjoying this character um but it also means you've got that terrible thing of a viewer is going well i want the goodies to defeat this baddie but also I've, I've, I've actually really liked this baddie. <laughs> I, I think it's safe to say with season three, there are there are multiple baddies that that yeah. are brilliant. Yeah. Um, and and the multiple baddies dynamic with one another is yeah. brilliant and yeah, is so absolutely. so unlike anything I had ever seen. <laughs> oh, poor Brent. <laughs> I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> you just know you have something really to look forward to. Um, Brent, I envy. I envy. You, I do Brent, too. Because I, I wish I was in a position now where I could discover something. Where I could discover something like Buffy and not know anything about. There are so many twists and turns, and joyous and tragic and sad and exciting and OMG moments for you to come. That mm. I, I sort of wish I was in your shoes. <laughs> Toby, should we just do another podcast where we just watch episode by episode with Brent? And then... Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> if I was going to do an episode by episode show, uh, it would have been Buffy, and it's something that I have discussed with other people before. Um, there are many of them already out there, just like there are many rewatched Doctor Who podcasts. I, you know, like Doctor Who is there's so much Doctor Who to watch. I can't commit to that sort of. Uh, th- that time commitment of watching every episode in order. I bless those folks who who do it. That's just not something I can do. I can barely hold together a monthly podcast. Um, but Buffy certainly one I would do weekly. I think, mm. and I want to probably really really enjoy it. Toby, in this era of reboot culture, everything's being rebooted. Do you think Buffy has a shot? Well, it's interesting because I, I'm. I'm trying to wonder what I would think if I, I don't want to play the old soldier because because now I, I I don't think I've what I think I'm about three Spider-Man reboots behind. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, I suddenly you, you can't turn around and they're suddenly reinventing something you haven't seen the reinvention of. So so part of me sort of goes, we don't need a new Buffy. Buffy was perfect as it was. But I I but I wonder if that's that that goes back to the whole. Um, I think if you love something, you worry about something else coming along and spoiling it. But of course, a new Buffy wouldn't spoil the old one. And if I loved the new Buffy, it wouldn't spoil the old one. And if I hated the new Buffy, it wouldn't spoil the old one. I mean, I somebody told me a couple of years ago that there was a rumour they might um, reboot Doctor Who. And I think that would annoy me because they brought it back without rebooting it. I, I, think, I think now the idea of rebooting Doctor Who would, would, would be counterproductive. But Buffy did did sort of have have its stint and it and it stopped and it ended in a particular way and there's no reason you can't you know tell that story again in a in a modern in a modern school i i do quite like but i do you know i like star trek the next generation because it actually pays lip service to the to the previous one it doesn't say none of that happened before um so maybe there's something in me that worries about you know wiping out the memory so you could have a vampire slayer that's the next vampire slayer i guess but then it's not buffy the vampire slayer i don't know i guess if it's good it won't matter and all of my misgivings are those funny little psychological barriers we put up to things that are new and frighten us and uh, i should um i should learn learn my lesson of, of of experience and go you know if it's if it's good um you know if if, if a story is good if a, if a franchise um could could be you know if if the story could be told through the lens of today, 
it's a very it's you know it's 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 ripe for metaphor and 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 a very power you know all of the things that we've talked about about how good it was but was how good it was to do with Joss Whedon uh which of course uh, no new version would would have um so therefore should Buffy be a Joss Whedon thing for better or worse I don't I don't know I certainly would I would certainly probably watch it. Well, do you know what I'd do is I'd read about it in SFX magazine (laughs) (laughs) and then decide if I wanted to watch it or not. There's so many series I only know stuff about because it was in SFX magazine. I've barely seen an episode of Stargate, but I can still tell you most of the cast and who some of the recurring villains are just because I used to read those episode guides. (laughs) I agree with what you said about the the multiple reboots because if I see Batman's parents get killed one more time, I'm going to jump off an 18-foot building. <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I think this would work. I, I mean, granted, I haven't seen all of it yet, but I, I, you know, we're still in a bit of a sci-fi superhero culture, so I, I would, I would hope it would be on somewhere where it's a bit less restricted and we can see more, sort of like a light-hearted Walking Dead, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it could. I mean, Buffy's such an interesting thing because you could, you could really, if you're rebooting it, you could really lean into the horror more because we are a kind of a horror culture right now. There's certainly, especially with what's going on now. Um, Buffy's been rebooted a couple of times in other medias. So like Joss Whedon did a comic series that he continued. There's a season eight of Buffy that only exists in the comic book form that has some very interesting ideas. Um, and uh, recently, and as a children's librarian, um, there's a couple of Buffy reboot um Graphic, uh, not graphic novels, but but um, juvenile novels, where the story is very different. And there's some graphic novels where Buffy's origin story is different, and the the characters are very different. It's less of a white cast, which is kind of nice. There's a little bit more included, and that's that's something that, of course, you'd want to see. And and mm. um, the history of the Slayers is is not as white, um, and that's really cool. Um, I know. I, I I don't know. There's I mean, there's a lot of other media. I mean, like Buffy had a spinoff series, right? Like Buffy almost had multiple spinoff series um, for for various characters, which some of which we've alluded to. But um, but you know, like for instance, Angel and 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 yeah, stuff. I loved Angel too. Yeah, um, <clears throat> it's another uh, it show. Nice. I'm sure someone will will bring Angel on uh, to the show uh, and, yeah. and want to talk about that as well. Yeah, and it was nice for a while when you, you had both of them together and sort of complementing each other and you know nipping over to each other. Um, uh, and it was it was very yeah I'm I'm a big fan and there was times when I enjoyed I was enjoying Angel more than Buffy and then it would go the other way you know when they were both coexisting, um, uh, but yes it's and it's interesting what you say about how you know you you don't think things that are new to you will date and then you look back and as you're saying about the, the sort of color demographic of the cast for example and you look now and you go really gosh that that was in living memory and it didn't seem strange strange to us and it seems really weird now but that in a way shows progress so in a way that the fact that we can see that is a is a is a good thing um i still think there are representational issues on 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 television but i think it's moving in in the right direction and there is a there is a willingness there where i think you know there wasn't this it was interesting how i think i've always you know been somebody of liberal sensibilities and hung around with liberal people and it's amazing how we didn't really sit that wasn't something that really um seemed too apparent then that is now startlingly obvious now isn't that extraordinary how how how, how time suddenly makes you go 
you might not have been as right on as you think you were. <laughs> at work, do you know what I mean? Well, I mean, there's 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 always room for change, right? And mm, always room for improvement. Absolutely. Um, who knows? There's a ton of new projects out there. And speaking of which, uh, Toby, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Before we let you go, do you want to mention any of the projects that you're you are working on or have worked on that you'd like folks to to know about? Oh, well, you can keep nudging me about this book I'm writing about Quatermass because I really need to get it finished. I've been writing it for about 30 years. Uh, Toby, please, but... please finish your book on Quatermass because I, as someone who has recently come to Quatermass and is uh, very enamored with it, I really want to oh. read your book on Quatermass. So yes, well, do it for uh, me, Toby. Uh, okay, I will. And um, I, I, fortunately, I was able to work on the uh, Quatermass and the Plit Pit blu-ray of the bbc tv series so if any of your uh listeners i know you've done an episode on it if if i would i would urge you to get that it's a, it's a fine piece um so well i'm just doing my podcasts i'm well i'm i'm rather exciting now i've got, I've got a tv project coming up by the by the looks of things the ink isn't dry but uh, it means that uh i will emerge from from lockdown with the uh, with a nice stint acting in something so that will be good fun um uh, but in the meantime yeah podcasts and uh um yeah just uh, you, you talk about committing to uh, <laughs> to um a, a watch along uh, i've committed to doing an in-depth look at every episode of doctor in order somebody sent me a message the other day saying i'll be 95 when you get to spearhead from space episode <laughs> 1 so <clears throat> i might need to speed up uh, cuz <laughs> um but i'll just keep throwing mud at the wall and seeing what sticks and um, and hopefully there's an audience out there for it. That's all I can do, really. So um, I'll always be doing something. Um, but for, at the moment, yeah, it's the it's the podcasts. And we appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Please always be doing something. Uh, thank you I'll so try. much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thank you for joining us on Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout-out to PixelWho for providing our logo. They can be found at Facebook.com slash PixelWho. Who and Company can be found on iHeartRadio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show at Patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. To make you a vampire, they have to suck your blood. And then you have to suck their blood. It's like a whole big sucking thing. Mostly, they're just going to kill you. Why am I still talking to you?